we're all different for a reason. Yeah. We all have different yeah. gifts and talents and you know personalities and interests for a reason. So let's celebrate that. And I'll work on what I can work on. You work on what you work on, and we'll support each other in that. Even if it's different, it's you know if it's for the greater good and it's positive. I don't see anything wrong with that. Hello, dear friends. Welcome to the Let's Give a Damn podcast. I'm your host, Nick LaPara, and on this podcast, we find people who saw something wrong in the world and gave a damn about it, and we chat with them. And then we let you listen in on those conversations. It's a win-win for everybody. Before I introduce today's guest, I want to reintroduce you to some friends of mine that are sponsoring this episode. Do not fast forward it. This is very important. You're really, honestly, truly going to want to listen to this. My friends at Goodwell are doing incredible work. I'm serious. They create environmentally conscious products that empower people to make a sustainable choice in their daily oral care routines. If bamboo toothbrushes are your thing, they have those. They also have a metal toothbrush handle and you buy reusable toothbrush heads that are 100% biodegradable. They have toothpaste, they have floss, and they have this amazing product called the Bee Brush, the first non-electric powered toothbrush in the world. Yes, you heard that correctly. They've created a patented technology that'll blow your mind. And everything I just mentioned can be purchased as a one-time product or as a subscription so you don't have to think about it at all. It just shows up at your doorstep when you need it. And everything they make and sell is biodegradable, compostable, and or recyclable. So it's amazing for the earth and you're getting amazing oral care. Needless to say, we love them and use them in our home and I have some exciting news. If you use the code DAMN in all caps, D-A-M-N in all caps at checkout, you'll get 30% off your order. That's a huge discount and you can feel really good about buying and using their products. So do us a favor and go check them out. They make it possible for us to continue making this podcast and providing it to you for free. So go visit them at goodwell.co, goodwell.co and use the code D-A-M-N, DAMN, for 30% off today. And now, allow me to introduce you to today's guest. This week, I got to sit down with Dana Story in downtown Nashville in a conference room right down the hall from where I met Dana for the first time almost two years ago. I had a blast chatting with her. She is the director of the Nashville Social Enterprise Alliance. She is the co-founder of the Kumi Project, and she is the co-founder of Fisher Story Consultants. Yes, she is a very busy woman. She's incredible, and I can't wait for you to hear more about her life and work. So let's get right into it. Here's my conversation with the amazing damn giver, Dana Story. Let's go. Dana Story, welcome to the Let's Give a Damn podcast. Thank you. Thanks for joining me so today. Excited. Yeah, I am. I'm super excited as well. We met. We were just talking before the recording went on. We did, we met uh, almost two years ago. Yeah, year and a half ago. Totally unrelated matter. Mm -hmm. You were just starting your role. One of the roles that we're going to talk about today. <laughs> you were just starting your role as director of Nashville Social Enterprise yep. Alliance. Yep, you got, got it. it. Um, it's a and long. It's a long. Uh, yeah, you you were sitting in on a meeting that I was having with your colleague at the time, the person mm -hmm. you were taking over for, about an, some crazy idea that I had. Thankfully, I have lots of people that <laughs> listen to my crazy ideas. Um, and then here we are a year and a half later, so much has happened in your life and career, yeah. and I'm excited to talk about it. So again, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me, this I'm, is great. I'm excited to dig in. Before we get going on career stuff and kind of why you give a damn, Tell me a little bit about who you are, because I don't beyond what you do in the city of Nashville and in some of your career stuff that I can see publicly. <laughs> um, I don't know anything about you, so fill me in. Go back as far as you want to. Go back all the way to childhood, or however oh you want to. But usually, I can when people share their story, I can pick out like, oh, that might be why she is the way that she is, or that might be why she thinks the way. There's always okay. some sort of clue. I can do that a million times in my past, so I'm always looking for those little True. nuggets. Uh, but either way. I want to know more about you. So who are you and where sure. did you come from? Oh, my gosh. Why are you the way that you are? I have no idea. I, I don't know. I, I know, but I don't know. Um, I'm originally from Southern California, Orange County. I was raised by my father, and he was he was in the education system for 30 years. 
growing up in Orange County, it's always very multicultural. I think people have this big misperception that it's blonde hair, blue eyed kids running around everywhere. Sure. And it's, it's not. There is a huge Latino community, a huge Asian community, a huge Middle Eastern community. You know, so it was for me, it was just always it was all of my best friends were from different cultures. And so I learned through their families about all these different cultures and experiences and food and, you know, religion. It's just things that, you know, made them who they were. And I just always thought that was so enriching and exciting to experience. And my stepfather was actually, he, we always watched like Nacho together. And so it always made me very curious about other cultures and how people live and traveling. And so I think from a very young age, I was always very interested in just experiencing new things and um, grew up going to a mega church at, at Saddleback. You may have heard. Oh, of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I grew up Catholic and then I started going to Saddleback and I do like, you know, for all whatever your, I guess, feelings are about mega church. I wouldn't go to one now, but at the time it was a very the right important, place to be. It was a very important place for me to be. And I think that helped also kind of shape how you look at people and treat people and the kind of the lens that that can offer. And so for me, it was, it was very formative. And then at 20, I decided that I needed to get out of California and wanted to try something different. So funny story <laughs> about Saddleback. Okay. I know, I'm sure there's I, lots I, of I know them. very, it's not even funny, just a great story actually oh, about good. Saddleback. Okay. I, I too am, I'm a Christian, but uh -huh. I, that whole segment of Christianity is not for me. I'm way right. more on the Anglican Catholic side of yeah, things. Yeah. But back in the day, some of the groups I ran in did some stuff with Saddleback. Okay. So I was in I was in Southern California all the time. And we hosted an event at that church. And at our event, Rick showed up. Really? And he greeted people that were coming in. So at our event, wow. this is not a Saddleback event. We were yeah. basically using slash renting the space for this big conference we were doing. Was this he, at the new space, the big? This is oh, 2010 or 11. Okay. So they had their whole facility probably. I think so. Okay. So this I is. I think so. I yeah. Don't, yeah. I don't know. But, wow. But, so we're hosting it there. And that always left a huge, again, I have no desire to ever be part of that. Sure. Again, for a lot of reasons. That's a whole different conversation. <laughs> That's but another podcast. <laughs> I've always admired like I, I liked him before that. Yeah. I liked him a way, way more after that. Yeah. Because like he didn't have I mean, he's Rick Warren. Like he he's one of the up. most famous people, some would say, in the world. Like yeah. he's a household name in so many circles. Absolutely. People know Purpose Driven Life, it's still a bestseller, blah, blah, yep. blah. And he was at our event greeting people at the door, hugs, like just hugging people. That's great. And I was like, what are you doing? I didn't say this to him, <laughs> but I'm like, what are you doing? You don't have to be here. Yeah. Like go chill. I'm sure you need to chill. But he showed up to our thing, which I thought was so cool. Yeah. So again, for all the feelings we may or may not have about mega right. churches, like that dude's the real deal. Yeah. And, yeah. and I, I always liked that. I actually grew up with his son. His well, funny story, his son and I dated in like Okay. High school or something You're like that. You're almost a Warren. No. <laughs> I don't think I don't think I would have made the cut. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't have made the cut. But I mean, grew up with the family and they really were, they were fantastic. You know, I mean, at least from my experience, everybody has their own personal experiences, but at least for me. And I think that's why um it was so important in shaping a lot of the way yeah. that I viewed people and treated people and wanted to interact and just always for me, like I don't know. I've always felt like people are so interesting and you want to get to know them and yeah. their backgrounds, like you've said, have so much to do with who they are and how they got there and stuff. So um, Saddleback was just, you know, very cool in that in that aspect. So I left when I was 20 and I actually have not really been back since. So uh, actually I take like that to back. to Saddleback or to SoCal? To Saddleback. Okay. Yeah. Um, I do kind of take that back, though, because they have international missions. And I actually lived in Kenya for a year with one of their missions okay. programs. Okay. But it wasn't, th it was through them, but not the for them. Yeah, 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 sure. yeah. Just had always the these incredible. It's part of your story, part yeah. of your history. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I actually now go like lean more towards Catholics um, yeah. stuff, but I have my own opinion. I have my own issues with what's happening right now. But, <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So you left when you were 20. Where'd you go? Here? Here. Okay. I just decided to come to Nashville. and Why Nashville of all the places? I thought I wanted to work in music. Okay. Not as a performer. 
or sing or anything like that. Come on, you probably got a performer in you somewhere. <laughs> well, when I was younger, and then I decided I didn't like attention. Oh, okay. And so that, like, singing, uh, I, I sang, I played the cello and all these other things, and I just realized that, oh, you have to be in front of people. Yep, and I that didn't is like, a requirement. Did not like that. Okay. So I just decided, you know what, it's not for me. Other people want that, and they're better at it. So I wanted to, I was interested in the music business side, and then changed that right after I got here. <laughs> Why? Um, because everyone was trying to do it? I think so. And I don't, I just, I decided it's not what I wanted my degree to be in. And I had found broadcast communications. And so I got my degree in that and I loved it. So TV, radio, PR, all that stuff. Have you done much in that space? Yeah, Has actually, that been part of your career? Yeah, I actually work part-time for Lightning 100. Oh, right now? <laughs> right now. Oh, And okay. I have um, off and on since about 2006, I think. Yeah. So I love radio. I, I think it's great. I do too. Yeah. <laughs> like I really, really do. I know I we're know. on a podcast, so you kind of have to say that. But I love that in today, 2019, we have electric cars. Uh, Elon Musk is boring tunnels under cities so we can go right. at 130 miles an hour. Like we're, <laughs> we're, we're moving, we're moving people to the moon soon. Mm-hmm. Like there's all these things, not moving people to the moon, but like there's so many things trying going to. trying to, yeah, there's, get there. there's so many things going on, right? Yeah. AR, AI, VR, like all these amazing things. And yet radio, whether in radio form or podcasting is still alive and well, yep. it's a thriving, yes. I mean, there's a podcast company, Luminary, just got like $100 million in funding. Wow. Gimlet Media a few months ago sold for $200 million, oh just a God. podcasting company. Like, so I love Yeah, I love this. I don't know why I gravitated towards radio more so than TV, but I just always loved it. So I think you have to, I think you have to really become a solid communicator. Yes. Because... It's all you have. Mm-hmm. You don't have your looks. You don't have <laughs> your, your 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 antics. You don't have hand motions. You don't have anything. Right. You have your voice. That's it. Yep. And you need to convince people to not change the channel or go to the next <laughs> podcast. Yep. And that, like with lightning, I'm on by myself. So you know, I'm talking to myself, and I'm like, God, I hope it's as interesting enough that people want to stick around. You know, my favorite though is doing the morning show because you in- interact. But yeah, radio is, you know, usually you got to just figure out how to communicate so that people want to engage with you. So you said you were in, that was my bad, everybody. I <laughs> shut off my phone, forgot to turn on my computer. So that was an email coming in. Um, no big deal. So you, um, let's talk about, you said you were in Uganda, right? Yes. So in 2006, I went to Kenya and Uganda for my first for the first time. And, um, that was about three weeks. And while I was there, it was through an organization called Mocha club and they, they do all kinds of community development programs. And that was my first time ever in Africa. You're friends with Barrett Ward then? Yes. Barrett was on my podcast last year. Barrett was. He's one of my favorite, favorite people in the world. Barrett is one of my all time favorite people. He's the guy who took me to Africa for the first time. I, and I, like, we still talk today. I love him. He's amazing. He's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I adore him, but he is who took me to Africa for the first time. Um, and it was just, it was incredible. And like the moment, I remember the moment I stepped off the plane, I felt, and this is going to sound weird, maybe stupid, but I felt completely comfortable and I f- felt at home. Like I felt completely comfortable. Let's talk about that for a second. Have you done much global travel? As of today, yes. Yes. But back, but back then, then, no. So what do you attribute that to? Because I feel the same way. Really? I feel more, I grew up out of the country. So I grew up in Guatemala. Okay. And I also, I've been to over 30 countries. So that's why I attribute, when I leave the country, I take a deep breath. Yeah. I feel more comfortable. Yes. A few trips ago, a couple years ago, I was in Indonesia, in Jakarta, and I we weren't supposed to leave, That we were supposed to leave the hotel as a group. I left the hotel as soon as everybody went up to their rooms. And I started walking around. And I feel so incredibly comfortable mm-hmm. when I leave this country. Yeah. I just do. I've, it's not home. And sometimes people, I get accused a lot of not being a good enough patriot because I was born here, but was not, you know, was not raised yeah. here. Anyway, I feel that way when I leave. But what was, why do you think you felt completely comfortable I, at home? I really don't know. Because I've, um, I'd 
been to Mexico and not for like vacation. It was mission trips and other experiences. And then I lived in London for a semester abroad and had traveled around Western Europe. I really couldn't tell you what it was. But, but you I, did. I just remember we were walking off the plane and I just felt like I'm home and I don't know why. And I, I mean, I, I haven't been there. It'll be a year. I went to Uganda last summer Okay. and kind of still get the same feeling. So, so. you're one of the f- co-founders of the Kumi Project. Mm-hmm. Is that tied to something that happened to you in 2006 after you left or is that a completely separate venture? And tell us about the Kumi Project. Sure. It came pretty far after. Okay. Um, but that first trip to Africa with Barrett kind of- Planted the it, seeds. Yeah. It yeah. kind of just, I was like, I've got, I came back from that trip and I was like, I have to go back. And then a friend of mine from Saddleback, she was in California and I was here. She called and was like, I'm moving to Kenya and I'm going to live on, Saddleback had a compound. And she's like, I'm going to live there for nine months if you want to come and join me. And I was like, okay. I'll do it. And then I had told Barrett that I was going to do that. And Barrett, I think, was actually living in Ethiopia at that time. Right. And with his wife, Rachel. And so I had mentioned it to him. And he's like, oh, great. You can lead Mocha Club trips. So I move. I actually lived in Ethiopia for about six weeks prior to moving to Kenya. That was the summer of 2008. So I was in Ethiopia leading some teams for Mocha Club and then flew down to Kenya and lived there for about nine months. And then came back here and then went back again for a few months. Just couldn't stay away, I guess. Yeah. But, um, we did all kinds of, of stuff. I mean, we worked in medical clinics. We worked in schools. Pretty much everything, anything that we were willing to do, they asked, you know, they wanted our help. Or they would involve us in what they were doing. I don't want to say, I hate to word use the word like we were helping them, but like they wanted us to be a part of what they were doing. So they would always include us. Um and it was, it was amazing. So then fast forward a few years, I came back, had a really hard time adjusting, living back in the States. Yes. I felt that many times in my life. Yeah. Don't think I ever fully processed it. Uh, tried to work in music for a few years, um, did a lot of different stuff, and then just couldn't, couldn't do it anymore and had the opportunity to work at a different nonprofit that was based in Nashville that worked in Uganda. And so through that... I met a guy named Pastor Fred, who is Ugandan, and through him, we kind of developed the Kumi Project. So that's, it all kind of came later on. And what is the Kumi Project? So the Kumi Project is a nonprofit that five friends and I had started. I took them all on a a team trip over there to visit this previous nonprofit's work. We had all gone together, and then about a year after we got back from that trip, we all kind of felt... Like we wanted to do something together and there were all these programs for women, but we hadn't seen any programs for young men. Mm. And so a lot of the young men, teenage boys, college age boys, even and younger even, were just hanging out in the streets, getting into trouble. And it was affecting the relationship because there's all these women's programs and pro- programs for girls, but there's nothing to develop the boys. And so there was resentment between the, the two and we personally just felt that if you're going to instill all these programs for women, you got to you gotta build into the men as well because that's just unequal. And so basically, in a nutshell, the Kumi Project focuses on educational leadership and mentoring for young men. And so we promise to put them through school and university and then help them try to find jobs afterwards. And part of that is them also working within the community and giving back to the community. What does your uh, team look like? Is it is it just you, or is it a bunch of people, or how does it how does it work? Since you're most of the time, yeah, you know, living here. Yeah, well, it's five white girls, <laughs> so that right there, I know is you know, whatever. But we really let our Ugandan team do most everything. We focus on raising the the funds here and and educating people about what we do. My husband is also kind of a silent co-founder. He was just as involved and passionate about it as we were. So it was five girls and my husband. But, you know, so our job, we primarily try to raise awareness and funding. And then we have two staff members in Uganda, a program manager, and then a, a house dad who basically lives with the, the boys. And then we've got kind of a, a board that oversees and, and works with them that is Pastor Fred is a part of and kind of mentors 
the leadership and then the, the young men as well. So we go, we went last year. There's another one of our, two of our girls are going to go again this summer. So we try to go once a year, at least one or two team members try to go once a year, if not more to interact and hang out with them and spend time. Couple things. One is I'm sure somebody's going to pick apart what I'm going to say right now, but it's all opinion <laughs> anyway. But my opinion is that I think it's I think it's unique that five white girls um, started something to enrich the lives of young men, young boys. I think that's cool because I would say, by and large, uh, the experience that I've had is that you know if women are starting it, it has more of a which is I'm not saying it's bad. It has more of a feminine feel to it, and mm-hmm. it's more for girls, right? Women work with girls, right? Sure. And men work with boys, and for you all to do something a little bold and a little strange, I think is, and I don't even know if there was a, a, a why behind that or if it's just because you guys saw the need. Like, yes, like I would, if I look at the landscape of who is helping who in Uganda specifically, since you all are there, um, I'd say most of the effort is probably going toward little kids, mm-hmm. girls, and women. Yes. Right? Yes. That's and- that's where, where it is in most in, in most of aid work and most of nonprofit yes. work, yes. let's take care of little kids, which again, all that's fine and There's dandy. There's nothing wrong with that. I think we, and that was where I think, and we all individually felt this and then started talking about it to each other. So it was something that it's not like I went to them and said, hey, what do you think about it? I've been thinking about that. Like everybody, just, it kind of came up in conversation that all of us, noticed this when we were there together and we all wanted to do something specifically for the boys um in this community. And I mean and it's it's a small nonprofit, you know, but our promise is, you know, we're not going to take on more than we can handle. The the need is huge, but we want to make sure that we're not just throwing a bunch of money and then these guys don't make it through and don't make it onto careers like if we can if we can only help or not help, but if we can only work with these 10 boys and they're successful, then yeah, that's- that means the world. That's better than trying to help a thousand and maybe two actually- Make it. Make it. So yeah. it is very small, but I think that's kind of intentional for now. We would like to get bigger, but at the moment, I think we're we're happy with where it's yeah, at. Yeah, it's beautiful. So, it's beautiful. Yeah. So before you worked with the Nashville Social Enterprise Alliance, you worked- on the national team, mm-hmm. there's a there's a larger umbrella organization called the Social Enterprise Alliance, yes. right? Yeah, and they kind of oversee all of the kind of city chapters. Is that is yes. that accurate? Yeah. So t- tell me about your role there, and then how you transitioned to Nashville sure. essentially a couple years ago. So Nash or Social Enterprise Alliance is a national organization. They've got I think 17 or 18 chapters all over the country, and the the national organization is just kind of they come up with programs and offerings for the chapters to be able to try to, you know, utilize within their communities. But the chapters are very grassroots driven. And so there's not really a formula for each that each chapter has to follow, which I think gives a lot of freedom, you know, but then it can also, you really, a chapter's really got to want to get up and going to be able to, to right. do this. Um, but it does allow the chapters to, represent their city and and decide what's best for their city. So at, at the National SEA, I came in as a community engagement coordinator. So just working with members and also helped um, because of my background in music, had, had worked on touring and management and things like that. And so we put on a, a national convening every other year called Summit. And so I worked on putting that together, worked on, we did a festival um, with social, you know, entrepreneurs and food trucks and all this stuff in downtown LA. It was in September of 2017. And then my, my role was constantly transitioning. Yes. And so then I moved into a role where I was working with the chapter leaders and helping support them and what they were doing. And then at some point, uh, Hannah, my colleague was, she was the director of Nashville Social Enterprise Alliance. And she was going to transition onto Nashville, national this is also confusing. <laughs> I'm tracking. Okay, okay. So she was going to move on to that. Similar role or a different role on the national team? Kind of similar, but it was B for national, you know, and so it was kind of that oversight of of running programs and growing membership and things like that. And so my job was split half 
running the cha- or managing the chapters and the other half running Nashville. And so did that for a little while. And, and I, they chose me for that cause I'd been here so long. I moved here in 2002. And so they felt that I was, yeah, you know, Nashville, they thought so. I mean, do I, you? I feel like I you do, do, but I also know that there's a lot I don't know, sure. you know? So, so what, ex- so with the Nashville chapter, mm-hmm. what did you offer? So several of the NSEA alum have been on my podcast, nice. uh, leaf and, uh, um, oh, yeah. Uh, now I'm blanking on all the names. Have um, you talked to Trap Garden? Yes. Okay. Yep. Good. So so he and Rob Fathom. Veggies has been on there. Okay. And um, have you talked uh, to Joe Adele? Knowledge Bank. Courtney. Yep. Courtney's been on there. And no, the one you just mentioned, have I have you not. Talked to them. They're I great. W- I will. Yeah. I will. So amazing people, right? right. Like yes. just wonderful, um, wonderful, wonderful people. But how did you support them? I mean, Nashville's really like kicking ass when it comes to social enterprise work, I think, for the for the size of the city yeah. and for kind of where the city has come from. And I think fantastic things are coming out of this city. Yeah. But uh, yeah, what did you offer them I mean, as, the, a, as a chapter? The chapter's been around maybe nine years or so, uh, started by Don Lair and a couple other people. And they... A lot at the beginning it was education and teaching people about social enterprise and and there's still an element to that, but now it feels like our biggest value is utilizing the network to connect our the entrepreneurs to the resources that they need, whether that's you know funding opportunities or business idea validation or mentorship. Um, so we really try to understand what the the social entrepreneur needs and what they're wanting to do with their business and the impact that they want to have. And based upon that, try to help them connect to those resources and and be an advocate for them. And then also we have a, a decent sized network for our newsletter and things like that. And so we also, the other half of it is the promotion piece. But the great thing, our board is amazing and they're all kind of in different arenas, but they all are focused on social enterprise in some way. And so our community is so diverse when it comes to the type of businesses they're wanting to start. So it's great because our board, if, if I don't know, I can say, oh, well, you need to talk to Dawn or you need to talk to Tori. And we can at least find somebody on our board who can find a resource for them. Now, you just recently, your role's sort of shifting. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you are now the same role, but as a volunteer. Yep. Correct. Yep. How are you doing with that transition? And what are you doing now to uh, essentially, you know, pay the bills, make a living while still, you know, kind of living out sure. who you are? Yeah. Because right? we were talking before the, the recording went on, that obviously hasn't stopped. So what's that transition looking like? It's been, I mean, and it's kind of been a slow transition, which I think has been helpful. Um, sure, it wasn't like a 30 <laughs> days from now. Yeah, yeah. It, we kind of could forecast and, and prepare for it. So it's been good. I mean, I, I can't imagine not trying to still be in this ecosystem in some form or fashion. Would I love to get paid for it, for being that, you know, director of the chapter? Absolutely. But I'm not going to stop doing trying to help in this arena just because I'm not going to get paid for it anymore like it's I think it's too important and so many other people are doing the same they're volunteering their time to help these entrepreneurs so the money's nice but at the same time it's not everything so uh, actually another girl and I on the board started a consulting company for social impact and nonprofit development because our backgrounds have a lot, we have a lot of experience in that. And so she and I have formed that in the last couple months, which has been great. And then I am in the process of getting my real estate license. So So let's talk about real estate for a minute. Yeah. Because when you first (laughs) said that, um, you told me that again before the recording went on, obviously, yay, go for it. But also (laughs) everyone's getting their fucking real estate license. So why why are you doing that? Because I think you have a different Obviously, you want to again. You need to make money. You need to make a living. Sure, but uh, it seems like your your why is deeper than just you need to get that commission yeah. check. Yeah, right. And I like I previously not that that's wrong. No, there's nothing wrong with yeah. that. But I I previously worked for an agent a couple of years ago. I was in this in between time where I was getting my master's degree and just needed a job, so I worked for an agent and learned 
so much about real estate. And I think I told you I learned a lot of things that I never wanted to do for real estate, but I did. I saw how impactful a good real estate agent could be. And I think that's why I didn't go get my license immediately afterwards because I was like, everybody's getting it. I don't need to join in this. You know, like you saw the enormity of the yeah. the, the quest ahead yeah. and what it what it means and you were like, yeah, not I the just, time. Yeah, I was like, I don't want to be just another person going to get their real estate license. Everybody's doing that. I mean literally, literally. Not, not a week goes by where I don't see a Facebook or an Instagram, hey, I'm started a new venture. Exactly. I'm a, and, and again, I have some really great friends that are wonderful real estate agents, but right. it's just, it seems very crowded. So why, yes. why are you, why are you doing it again? So, why are you pursuing it? <laughs> I've always, since I learned a lot, I actually always would kind of come back to it in a way. I was always very interested in it. And I saw how, like I mentioned, impactful a good real estate agent could be. And there's recently within the last year or two, there's been this thing called opportunity zones. It's a federal initiative where, wealthy people can take their capital gains tax and put it in investment into opportunity zones, whether that's through business or real estate or whatever. And I'd been to a couple meetings about opportunity zones and all I saw there were big time developers and real estate agents and nothing wrong with that. But I did realize there's no parameters to keep mm. gentrification from happening. And so the the first line is going to be these real estate agents and these developers who have to care about the community and how it develops and how it progresses. And it has a, has to care about not kicking people out or, you know, helping move people out of their homes if they don't want to. So opportunity zones in essence are meant to be a good thing, but I saw a lot of red flags, which concerned me. And I was like, well, if one of the best ways to do that is to actually put this knowledge, be there, be there the and, and yeah. be someone that is, you know, helping to be on the front lines and, you know, hopefully help with positive development as opposed to just complete gentrification and pushing people out. So that was my motivation was I feel like I had gained all this knowledge and experience and, you know, I was like, I just feel like I'm going to sip that. And I live in 12 South and I bought there 13 years ago when it was not 12 South and it was not the it neighborhood to live in. And I saw firsthand the gentrification that happened and I saw the the people coming in and preying on my neighbors to get them to move out. And I'm like, I don't know, I want to see that happen again, you know? And if I can do that by being a real estate agent and help with that, then I will. Do you think it's too late for Nashville? Are there any neighborhoods that, oh, that are there any like real solid good neighborhoods that haven't been affected by, and again, we, we were talking earlier about how gentrification is not is not one answer, right? <laughs> because we believe in progress. We believe in, you know, helping our cities become all that they can be. But so much of that, we talk about this on the podcast all the time, so much of that comes <laughs> at the expense of uh, people of color, mm-hmm. usually, right? Yep. So the people yes. of color, marginalized communities, yep. single moms, immigrants, refugees, right? They, yep. and, and like you said, the, the correct word is prey. Mm-hmm. Like these these typically white, powerful real estate dudes yep. come in and they prey on these people that are vulnerable. They talk money, they talk ideas, they talk dreams, they talk all these things. And then all of a sudden this person gets swindled out of their only anchor to right. this community. Yep. They don't realize that when they they lose that anchor, they have nowhere to go. Exactly. Because they don't understand what it means to move out of here where you ha- at least have something. Yeah. Now what do you do? You well, you can't buy you can't buy anywhere close to the city anymore. Right. So you're gonna lose and your, your job. Family was what if right your there? what if your bus route doesn't go there yep. anymore? You don't have a vehicle, family, all exactly. of that. So they're not thinking about that. They're thinking in desperate terms. They're thinking because of the pressures of life. You're thinking, yeah. oh, I need what he's offering me. Well, and most of them bought their property for probably fifty, sixty thousand dollars, and now these agents, you know, people are coming in. Developers are coming in and offering them two hundred thousand, two fifty. Well, it's more money than they've ever thought they'd seen exactly. in their lives. Exactly, but that property is actually worth four hundred thousand. So they're getting undercut, but they don't know that, no. and and that's so unfair. That's so dishonest. And then I even saw people going to neighbors' homes and telling them they weren't wanted in the neighborhood anymore. Yeah, uh, I've heard of that before. Yeah, just making up stories, uh-huh. making up making up narratives. Yep, and then convincing them of 
that they're not wanted yeah, anymore. You, we, we, they don't want you here anymore. Yeah, that, which, which is so fucked up. It's so sad. me off to no end. Yeah. and I thought was such bullshit. Like they, I saw it up and down my street, and like there, my neighbor Miss Mary, she has been in the neighborhood for thirty five years. It, before that, her parents were in the neighborhood. She's a seventy four year old black woman, and she like is tough as nails and she would not like she would watch every single person that came into our neighborhood that was a real estate agent or a developer and she would she would kind of harass them and get them out but Good i was like her. that's exactly what she should have done because these people were coming onto her property and trying to intimidate her into leaving and i just i saw it with so many neighbors and i it, it's horrible nobody should ever have to deal with that so you don't think it's too late I don't. I think. I mean, you're obviously getting your real estate license, so you think that there's still room to work. There's still work to be done. There's still areas. Well, and now some of the areas are like Madison and. Oh, it's going out. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it's not. It is. It's there's still pockets in the urban core, but it is finding its way further and further out. I think that there is still opportunity to help. I mean, you can't change what's already happened, but I think there is a huge opportunity to be able to. These lower income neighborhoods deserve to have development and nice homes and good school. Like they deserve all of this. So why can we not find a way to make that happen and make it still attractive to people for them to want to come and build these facilities, but allow the people in the neighborhoods to stay and to utilize them? Like they don't have to be moved out, (laughs) you know? So, and like I think one of the best, one of the coolest examples that I've seen is Slim and Huskies. They're off of Buchanan Street. It's a, a pizza, pizza restaurant. What's the area of town? Um, not Germantown, uh, Salem Town. Salem Town, right? I think it's more like Buena Vista. Okay. I think it's on the Salem Town is right by Germantown. I think on right. the other side of okay. Rosa Parks. I okay. think it's. Buena but yes, Vista. I've heard of. I've heard of this. My friend Will told me about it. Yes, if you haven't been, you have to go. It's, I haven't. It's some of my f- favorite pizza in town, um, but. They grew up in the neighborhood. They decided, I think it's two guys, they grew up in the neighborhood, decided to start a business there, employ people from the neighborhood, get back. You know, they really have helped, like, improved that corridor where there weren't a lot of businesses. uh, There was not a lot of investment. People were not attracted to that, and they have helped change that. And they're from that neighborhood, and they have one of the, they have such a successful business. They just opened in Atlanta now too. They, wow. You know what I mean? Like that's the Are prime. they doing the same thing there? Kind of the same yes, model in it's Atlanta? It's the same. It's Slim and Huskies, but it's Atlanta. So that, to me, that is the the prime example of why we should be investing in these communities and taking this, this investment from the opportunities and like investing in these opportunity zones for things like this. Like that is what opportunity zones are meant to me, that's what they look like is if someone in the neighborhood wants to start a business and it's viable, help them, give them the investment. I heard the, the craziest statistic that on average, if a white male wants to start a business, you know, cause they always say like, you have to reach out to your network and your friends and family. A white male has $111,000 like equity that they would get. Like family and friends. Family around. and yeah. friends, like over a hundred thousand dollars that they on average could get from their network to start any business they to want start to. their business for an african-american male it's like ten thousand. that's horrifying yeah like that a, inequality 11th of what the, yeah. yeah and so you know when they talk with like i hear these things and they they talk about like oh well just go to your network and i'm like you don't understand like they can't go to their network so there has to be some other opportunities like someone to come in and support them yes, come around them because they yeah. have great ideas and yeah. they can work you know so that's kind of i think what i would love to be able to help facilitate is something like that you know i love that so. i love that so we have talked about quite a few things um <laughs> your original trip to uganda that you know affected you deeply you felt comfortable walking right off the plane i love hearing that and then your work with the National Social Enterprise Alliance, mm-hmm. then the Nashville Social Enterprise Alliance, yep. the consulting thing that you're doing, the real estate thing, you obviously um, love people and give a damn, I right? I do, I do. Why? So t- t- talk to me about like what what gets you up in the morning. Again, you could leave all of this. Probably with your experience at this point, you could make a lot more money doing something else, I would imagine, I think. In a oh. city like this, full of opportunity, <laughs> you could take what you've learned so far and transfer that into something not even it's not even about money like 
sure, I think you can make more money, but you could do something different, more stable, more, you just, you know, you lost your, your funding for this, yeah. this other thing. And now you're having to like make the, make up the difference. Right. So why, do, why do you do it? What, what kind of makes you do that over and over again, day after day? I don't, I don't know. I just, I love he, like hearing the stories of, I'm not even gonna be able to capture this the way I want to say it, but just human potential and seeing what people are capable of. And, you know, I vol- I volunteered at Thistle Farms for a long time. I love Thistle Farms. And hearing the stories of what the women had to go through and their experiences, what breaks my heart the most, and maybe this is what, ha- what it is, is what breaks my heart the most is that someone would feel that they are not, that they're not important, mm. that their life doesn't have meaning. That breaks my heart. And there was actually on this first trip to Kenya, sorry, I'm totally like, going off on a rabbit hole, but we were sitting in a school in Kenya and I was talking to, I think he was 10 years old and we were just having a conversation and and he was like, why did you come here? And I was like, because, you know, I'm interested in whatever I said, I don't remember, but is that okay? And he's like, yeah, I just would have never thought that you, somebody that, you know, you would want to be here. And I was like, well, why is that? And he said, because you're from America. So you're, Europe, you're number one, you're up here. And I'm from Kenya. So I'm, I'm nothing. I'm down here. And that just broke my heart that Mm. this, he, this kid, 10 years old, that is already his perception. It's already been fed to him in so many different ways. TV is things people say. Yeah. And it just, I think for me, I've never understood how you can think you're better than somebody else. Like we're all human beings. We're all people. And it, it just breaks my heart to, and I've seen it since then and heard people say it since then. And it just, I think what motivates me is to let people like, just to affirm that they are important and that they are capable of doing incredible things. And it doesn't matter where you've been, but you can like, you can turn it around and Project Return is another organization that, that we work with and they work with um, returning citizens that are coming out of prison and they have like an 80 or 90% success rate. And that's because they're treating them as humans. They're giving them opportunities. They're training them, giving them skills. And once they have them, they take it and run, you know? And so it's like you have these people who, you know, come from all kinds of backgrounds and they think I have a you know, drug problem or a criminal record or this or that. I'm never going to have a chance. But they can. And to see them owning homes and having families and succeeding at life. It just is, there's nothing, there's just nothing cooler than that to me is to, you know, and so I, if, if I can help somebody see that in some small way, that's all I want to do. What do you sort of, as we wrap up here, what do you envision all of this? What's your, what's the big dream? Keep doing this or if you could snap your fingers and make your wildest dreams come true, what, what do they look like? Oh my gosh. I don't, you know what? I don't know if I've even really thought about it all that much. I do know that I would want it to, I, I would want social enterprise to be the way of doing business. Is that, yeah, that it's that not, that. it's becoming that more and more, but there's still so much yeah. work to do. Yeah. And I think with this younger generation, it's so cool to see that they want that transparency and that authenticity and they're willing to pay for it. Hopefully you know? our kids, my hope is that our kids will want it 10 times more than we do, which is yeah. unimaginable to me because I want it so badly, right? right? Like we make such conscious decisions about what we buy and what we wear and all that. Now, yeah. 15 years from now, I hope it's like 10 yeah. times more, exactly. 100 times more. Yeah. So that's kind of my hope is that, you know, whether it's environment or gov- whatever it is that like these, you know, businesses are thinking about the bigger picture and that social enterprise is something that is built into their way of business. I hope it's not just a, a buzzword and a, a term that, you know, just kind of ends up burning out. I hope it's how businesses end up operating. And I would love to see it, you know, I would really love to see more connections between the countries with their social enterprise work because there's social enterprise UK, social enterprise Australia. And like, to, and I know that there is like kind of a global network, but to see that be more cohesive, I guess, and even to see governments making it more of a priority. So someday, <laughs> many, many years from now, you're going to die. Mm-hmm. And for some odd reason, I'm still alive and I am giving your <laughs> eulogy. 
all of your family and friends are there, everybody you've worked with, all, all the people that have been affected by, you know, the Kumi project and all your social enterprise stuff all throughout your life. Big room, lots of people there. They're there to celebrate your mourn your life. What do I say? I'm giving your eulogy in a few sentences. Oh, like what am I <laughs> what am I saying over your life? I don't know. I hope that you would take that moment to encourage all of them to look at themselves and how they could be more socially impactful, whatever way that is. doesn't matter, but I don't know. So look at the example that Dana has left us. No, that that feels like way too much. But why? Because Hopefully you have a legacy, right? I hope I hope there is a I hope there is a legacy. I don't know. I'm just very you know. I told you I'm very uncomfortable with like attention yeah. and how to. Ex- yeah, you accept you gave that. up a Taylor Swift career because you don't want to be in front of people, right? <laughs> exactly. Yep. But the truth of the matter is that like our examples, our life helps people. Oh, yeah, we, we need so. examples. We need examples of how to do take the next step. Because life is hard and it sucks. And so when we see people doing it well, um, we're like, oh, I can do it too, you know? So I get it. You don't want people talking (laughs) about you. But but hopefully, I mean, for me to have that conversation with people in this hypothetical scenario, I've got to give them something to look at. So it's, hey, look at what Dana did. You can do the same thing in your own way, right? I think. You have an impact on the world. I hope so. That's, I think... All of us. I read this thing last week because I'm, I'm my personality left unchecked. Wants people to do so much, right? Yeah. Do all the things. Yes. Yep. You know, but that's not. It's not realistic. Yeah. Like everybody can't do everything. Right. And I have become a little better. Hopefully, I get much better <laughs> in the future. But I've become the the reason I'm thinking about this is because um, there was this thing going around on the internet last week. Some girl wrote this thing and it just went viral. Hmm. But she she wrote these words. I think it would be good to read. I'll read either all of it or part of it yeah, here. But please. she said, she said to the person who uses metal straws to save fish but consumes animals, I'd like to say thank you. To the vegan who isn't aware of our homelessness problem, thank you. To the climate change activists who aren't attentive to fast fashion, thank you. To the girl who gives her old clothes to the disadvantaged but isn't educated on sex trafficking, thank you. To the guy who picks up rubbish on his way home from a surf but isn't well-informed about male suicide rates, thank you. To the people who stand up for horse racing concerns but are uninformed about the cruelty of the dairy industry, thank you. To the positive Instagram influencer who hasn't cultivated a plastic-free lifestyle, thank you. To the grandparents who knit for sick children but aren't up to date with current race and homophobic issues, thank you. To the students that stand up for bullying but are unaware of the constant domestic violence epidemic. Thank you. And she goes on and on. If you want to hear more, everybody, go to Let's Give a Damn uh, Instagram. I posted it there a few days ago. The whole idea of, A, we need examples of, we yeah. need to see people doing the right thing. But to ask somebody to be doing all of those things, is just not realistic. Right. As right. much as I want to think that I'm trying to do the best job possible in all areas, like I was eating a snack the other day and it was this organic snack, non-GMO, like whatever. It's <laughs> all just the kind things. of all the things. And I was like, but the packaging, I can't recycle it. Yeah. So I had to throw so I was thinking about all the ways that like I even when I try so hard, we compost, we do all the stuff. Yep. We don't do single-use plastics like very rarely. And then I get this snack that was like all so good for you, right? Five ingredients and it's all amazing. And I feel good about myself. And then I'm like, where the fuck do I throw this away? I have to throw in the trash. It's landfill, right? right? Just like, go why to did landfill. they think about that last thing? They right. did, they made an amazing product that tasted so good. Yeah. In the packaging. Yep. So it can't be all things to all people. You can't do it. You can't do it all. And we have to, I think, encourage each other yes. to um now I I, I want to counter that. I want to counter myself by saying <laughs> we can do more than we think. Right. We need to push ourselves. We need to instill like self-discipline and continue to uh, make strides toward, I think, doing more. Right. But we can't do it all. Exactly. And we have to be very gracious yes. with ourselves and with other people. Oh my gosh. And 100%. not and not be like, dude. Anyway, I completely agree. I know yeah. that could be a whole not. I could go off on that because I have so many thoughts and feelings. But I agree. You know, like you do what you can. Do what you can. Do what you can. And and help if you can't do more, support others who are. Yeah. You know, I mean, just encourage them. Yeah. Like. We're all different for a reason. Yeah. We all have different yeah. 
gifts and talents and, you know, personalities and interests for a reason. So let's celebrate that. And, you know, I'll work on what I can work on. You work on what you work on and we'll support each other in that. Even if it's different, it's, you know, if it's for the greater good and it's positive, I don't see anything wrong with that. No. Yeah. Let's give a damn is all about helping people see, find out what their thing or things yeah. are, is or are. That's great. Like, because it can't be, it can't be everybody. That's why we right. tell so many different kinds of stories. Which is great. I think because, that's fantastic. Because it's not in one lane and I'm actually starting another podcast soon, specifically <laughs> in one lane. But this one has to be broad because I want people to know that like, there's not one way to do this. There's yeah. so many ways to do this. Yep. Don't and, try to be him or her. And find your way of doing it yeah. because your way is going to be different and unique. And we need it. Yes. And we need it. Yes. If you're not doing it, then we're missing out. Right. 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 I've said that to so many mostly single men that I've interacted <laughs> with and kind of mentored. But it's like, if you don't do your thing, then we're missing out. Nobody yeah. else can do that. Yeah. So we're actually missing out on what you have to offer. Right. If you're not doing it, nobody is. Yeah. We can't pick up your slack because we've already got all this shit to do, right? <laughs> so it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. We need to wrap up. Okay. This was super fun. Yeah, Thank thanks. you for sharing your story and your work. And um, we're here to encourage you and cheer you on. And, Thank you. Um, and yeah. I love this platform. I think it's fantastic. Oh, thanks. I think it's awesome. Thanks. Super so, fun. Thanks for having me. Appreciate yep. it. Thanks so much for listening in, ladies and gents. So glad you decided to show up for the conversation today because I know that you're encouraged. My challenge to you, my simple challenge to you this week, and I'm grabbing it from the last five minutes, is this. Don't expect yourself and others to give a damn about everything. Have more grace and patience because we're all just trying to make it, right? And I hope we're just trying to do our best. I believe that about you. And I truly believe that if we all do our part, the world will become a massively better place. So do that this week, my friends. You can find links and more information about this podcast conversation and all things Let's Give a Damn by going to letsgiveadam.com. If you love what we're doing on the show, tell a friend, please. That takes two seconds. Very easy for you to do. You can also leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or consider giving us a few dollars each month to support the production of this show by going to patreon.com slash let's give a damn. This podcast episode was created by Chad Snavely and yours truly. The music is by our friend and fellow damn giver Propaganda. Make sure to check out all of his music on Spotify or wherever you listen to your music. I cannot wait to spend time with you next week. More great stories to come. I love you all. Peace. Peace.